Good morning. Brian's kids did a great job washing the cars yesterday. Uh, my name is Ali Chavez, and I'm the high school associate pastor. If you could open up your Bibles to Luke 5.33, we're going to read some scripture together. A discussion about fasting. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new garment patch would not match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Hey, good morning as well, Calvary Church. Those that are outside enduring this June gloom day, well done. And those online as well, we're thankful that you can be part of this worship service. As Allie just read Luke chapter 5, we're back in the Gospel of Luke. We've titled this series, Jesus Reveals, this section of Luke, Jesus Reveals. And today we're going to talk about this idea that Jesus is revealing a new season of grace. Before we just even jump into it, I do want to give a shout out. Thank you to Ed, Eddie <laughs> Stetzer, uh, the new dean at Talbot School of Theology who came and gave us a great word, great message last week. If you missed it, if you're out of town, jump online at our website and look up that sermon. It was wonderful looking at 2 Corinthians and this idea that we are on mission. But now today we're back in Luke and we're looking at the grace of Jesus Christ. Who needs grace in their lives? Yes, I am front in line of that, of that divvying out. I need grace. We need grace. And the good news is that the Messiah has come to give us grace. Interestingly enough, he often runs into people who are the opposite of grace givers. The Pharisees are one of the largest antagonists of Jesus in his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, you see Jesus preaching in his hometown, and he's driven out almost to the point of being thrown off a cliff uh, by those who can't accept that Jesus is more than a man, that he actually not only speaks for God, but he is God. And then in chapter 5, after the calling of the disciples, you see Jesus being confronted by different religious leaders. This is the second kind of major confrontation of Luke 5. And then as we jump in next week and the next few weeks into Luke 6, you'll see that these accusations ramp up and, and continue. But here in this passage, you see that the religious leaders gather around Jesus, and here's the accusation. You feast when you should fast. Luke 5.33, you heard it, but just to see it again with your own eyes, it says this, one day some people, Luke doesn't describe exactly who these people are that are cornering Jesus in this moment, 
But if you look at the context of chapter 5 and even the next chapter, chapter 6, there's a pretty consistent group that's accusing Jesus, and that's the Pharisees. Just a few verses before Luke 5, 33, and in verse 30, the Pharisees come around Jesus. The scene is a dinner with Levi, the tax collector, also named Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Matthew later in his life. Levi has this radical change from being a oppressor of people to dropping his role as a tax collector and now following Jesus. And then he gathers really the only people he knows, fellow tax collectors, the only other people that will hang out with him. And they have a big celebratory meal with Jesus as the guest of honor. And the Pharisees can't stand this. They're not celebrating that, whoa, a sinner has come to repentance and is now following the Messiah. No, they're, they're hung up on what type of sinner this is. Look at verse 30 again, and your scriptures are on the screen. It says this, why do you eat and drink with such, the NLT says, scum. It's also translated in the original uh, language uh, to mean sinner. Why do you eat with such sinners is this accusation in verse 30. Now, as we go back to 33, the accusation is not necessarily who you're eating with, but when you're eating with them. As they come around Jesus and they say, well, everybody else, the Pharisee disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they all fast, yet your disciples they feast, and I can, just in my own imagination, I can picture them talking to Jesus about this right as Peter and John are having like a huge bite of tilapia. <laughs> like, <laughs> the background of this is in the first century, if you were a serious follower of Yahweh, you took fasting seriously. Fasting was part of your, really your everyday life. In fact, not only would you fast in preparation and during festivals throughout the year, but if you're a serious follower of Yahweh, you would traditionally fast every Monday and every Thursday. I'm guessing that this accusation in Luke 5:33 is probably given to the disciples and Jesus on a Monday or a Thursday. Hey, we're all suffering for God right now. We're all practicing spiritual disciplines in order to connect with God. And you guys, you're stuffing your faces. If I could have a conversation with a first century Pharisee right now, if we were just kind of up here on the platform together, hello, Nicodemus? I feel like that's what they'd all be named. Nicodemus, a nice hat. I like your beard. <laughs> you're, you're very obviously serious about God. I commend you for that. It's admirable that, that you've devoted your life to God. Even things like fasting on, on Mondays and Thursdays, I mean, that's awesome. But you're, you're, you're using a mechanism, a mode. You're, you're taking the law and you're asking it to save you. And... And the law was never intended for that. The, the law cannot 
do that. The law is to show us our sin, not save us from sin. And and if you really want hope, if you want freedom, if, if you want forgiveness, if you want deliverance, if you want a new way of thinking and living, it's him. It's him. It's him. It's the guy that's in your midst. It's the guy that's feasting rather than fasting. It's the Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's our Savior. His name is Jesus. As the verses go on in Luke 5 and 34 and 35, Jesus responds with some interesting ways to their accusation. He gives really three analogies, uh, three kind of stories or pictures, portraits of what he's come to do, why his disciples are feasting rather than fasting. The first is this in 34 and 35. He calls himself or he alludes to himself as the groom or the bridegroom. 34, 35, do wedding guests feast while celebrating with the groom? You've been to weddings before. Maybe you are going to a wedding this month. It's, it's wedding season. And traditionally in our culture, and, and really in every culture that's ever been existing, weddings are a joyful occasion. They're a reason to celebrate. You get dressed up in your best, and, and you come to just come alongside someone who's making this big step in their life, committing their life through vow, through covenant, before their family and friends and, and before God. And it's a time to, to pull out your best stuff, to celebrate. Reminds me of Pastor Robert Carter's wedding. Some of you were there. It's here at Calvary Church. This is Robert next to one of our wonderful Calvary leaders, John Norton. And this photo is captured right as Robert's wife, Rachel, is walking down the aisle, right out here in the courtyard. It's this incredible scene. And I've said this before as I've preached. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to be standing at the front of a church and watching a groom gaze as his bride walks down the aisle. It's just the coolest thing. Now, in this moment, this photo is captured of Robert. Robert loves the Philadelphia Eagles. No idea why, but... Uh, <laughs> He loves the Eagles. If I came up to Robert, I'm like, hey, Robert, I got to tell you, there's this new free agent signing of the, of the Eagles. It's going to be amazing. It's going to change the whole team. He's like, bro, I got, I got something more important happening right now. Robert loves theology. He loves drinking coffee. He loves playing golf. If one of us were to come to Robert in this moment and be like, hey, Robert, I, I, I have a tea time in 15 minutes, Tustin Ranch. Let's go. This is amazing. Uh, Robert, let's, let's grab some incredible coffee from Bodie Leaf and, and just talk about uh, the, the triune Godhead. He's like, great, I would love to do that, but I'm kind of in the middle of something right now. This is, this is important. This is my priority. This is my focus right now. Rachel is coming down the aisle, and she's going to marry me. <laughs> this is the groom. Jesus alludes to himself in this passage, and then in more clarity in Revelation, as the groom. The groom has come for the bride. And the groom has not given 
the bride an engagement ring necessarily. No, the dowry that the groom pays for the bride is his own blood. Amazing. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? This is what the groom has done for us. Now imagine Rachel's not in this scene right here. In fact, they're, they're having their second child coming up in the next few months. We just celebrate with the Carters. I didn't even ask you permission if I could do this, so Carters, forgive me later. Um, but imagine Rachel's coming down the aisle and she, she gets up to Robert. John's here next to him. And then she just turns left and she gathers her bridesmaids together. And, and they all huddle up. And she's like, you guys, I gotta tell you about the groom. Robert is amazing. He's charming, he's wise. I mean, look at that beard, it's amazing. I get to marry Robert, I, I just can't believe it. This, this is wonderful. Meanwhile, Robert is right here. He's in her presence, but, but Rachel's, she's talking to others about him. And, and this is the analogy, the portrait that, that Jesus is giving right here to his accusers. We feast rather than fast because the groom is in your presence. You don't need to talk about the groom. You don't even need to do like do things for the groom right now. Just be with the groom. Be in his presence. He is here, Emmanuel, God with us. It's another sign, another little clue that Jesus knew what he was, who he was, that he was God in the flesh. The word became flesh. Jesus understood who he was. He was deity. And so even just let this be another verse that adds to your list of verses of Jesus claiming to be God. He's saying the groom is with you. And then verse 36, he gives a, another portrait. Talks about sowing, <laughs> which kind of is an interesting comeback when the topic that he was accused of was feasting over fasting. All of a sudden, he busts out this, this story about sewing new garments into old garments and, and how you wouldn't do that because that would ruin the new garments. So he gives this illustration. It's always been kind of a little bit of a, a perplexing illustration for me as, as well as the second one as well. But what he's saying here is he saying that I've come to bring a new season of grace. This season of grace is not just to tack on to the season of law, but it's actually a new thing. I'm coming to do a new thing. The law has its purpose. It's to show you that you fall short of God's holiness, that you need a savior. But grace is here to make you new, to change you from a sinner to a saint because of the blood, the work of Jesus. Galatians chapter two, when, when commenting on this type of thought, says it so well like this. Galatians two sixteen says, yet you know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying, what does it say? All right, you're sort of waking up here. Some of your neighbor good volunteers feeling it. Yeah, it's not by obeying the law. It's 
by Jesus. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For no one, look at this, look at this, don't miss it. Don't have an ADD moment. Check this out. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Wasn't the purpose, the intention of the law. Let me add yet another illustration to Jesus's. Imagine that your heart is sick. And so the first doctor you go to, his name is Dr. Law. And you go to Dr. Law and you're like, doctor, my heart's sick. Here's my symptoms. What do you think? Dr. Law would tell you, yeah, your, your heart is sick. Those symptoms do indicate that there's major issues with your heart. So I'm here to declare to you that your heart has a problem. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, what should we do about it? I'm sorry. I'm Dr. Law. That's all I can tell you. Dr. Law is here to tell you that your heart has a problem and you need to have it fixed. But that, that's as far as I go. I only completed three years of medical school. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I wanna go get a second opinion. So then you go to Dr. Grace. Dr. Grace, I, my heart is sick, here's my symptoms. Dr. Law told me that this is the issue, that he confirmed to me that, that my heart is in serious condition. Without any type of solution, I'm gonna die. Dr. Grace is the one that would tell you, you're right, your heart is sick, you are gonna die if you don't have intervention, but I'm here to tell you the good news. Not only do you need to have your heart fixed, you need to have your heart replaced. How's that good news? <laughs> because I'm gonna do it. I have the means, the modes, the skills I'm gonna replace your heart. A heart of stone to a heart of flesh filled by your spirit. This is the beauty of what Jesus is getting at when he says new garments, old garments. And then the second illustration, new wine, old wineskins. It's the law took you to this point, but now grace is gonna redeem and save you. Martin Luther, the, the reformer says it well. He says the law reveals our sin Jesus reveals grace for sinners. Is this good news? It's really good news. So that's illustration one. Illustration two is this wineskins of 37, 38, and 39. Says, Jesus says, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. Now again, this is a, a first century portrait picture. So we don't necessarily, we understand what wine is, but we don't understand. You know, use these wineskins to, to hold wine. So it's a little bit lost on us. But again, the same story, portrait, meaning is true of this second analogy of that it's the law and grace. The old is law. The, the what I've come to do is grace. So you've heard Galatians as a commentary on this. There's another great passage in Hebrews. Really, the whole book of Hebrews is a commentary on law and grace. But, but Hebrews chapter 10 says it like this. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Take that in. So in the old way, 
the nation of Israel would come year after year to have their sins atoned for. Now that was grace, (laughs) that God would accept the blood of a lamb to somehow redeem people, forgive people. I mean, that's grace in itself. But you had to do it after, repeat it year after year, over and over. But verse 12, but our high priest is referring to Jesus. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the right place of honor at God's right hand. So the law shows us our sin. Jesus shows us the solution for sin. His blood work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, overcoming sin, defeating death. That's grace. Not based on what we deserve, but based on his unconditional, incredible love for us. So these two portraits, garments and wineskins. Why do you feast when you should be fasting? The bridegroom is here. He's in your presence. There'll be a time when when, when I'm gone, but right now it's a time to enjoy my presence because I'm bringing a season of grace. The law cannot answer this. Only the Savior can. Let me offer you another portrait if those two portraits either didn't hit you or are confusing to you or you just need more illustration. Knott's Berry Farm. This is Ghost Rider. The average weight on Ghost Rider is 75 minutes. How many of you would wait 75 minutes to ride a roller coaster? Wow, surprisingly, surprisingly a few of you, okay. Diehards. So my son and I went to Knott's Berry Farm two Tuesdays, Tuesdays ago. It was his fifth grade activity day. You know, at the end of the year, a lot of the elementaries, junior highs, high schools even, they have kind of like their fun days, beach days, that kind of thing. So my son got to go to Knott's Berry Farm. Sixth grade got to go to Irvine Park. Fifth grade, Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> so they needed some chaperones, so I went with them. We waited about 75 minutes to ride this ride, Ghost Rider. What I didn't tell you is that it was fifth grade day at Knott's Berry Farm, not just for my son's class, but literally every fifth grader in Southern California <laughs> was, was at Knott's Berry Farm that day. <laughs> Imagine fifth grade B.O. as you're in line for <laughs> all this. What if you waited 75 minutes like we did and you got to the front of the line and the gates open as they do on roller coasters and it's your turn. There's two empty seats right there. You've been waiting this whole time and you're so excited and you're about to step on the ride and then you're like, Let's go back to the beginning and stand in line again. Your fifth grade son's like, what are you doing? I was like, it's for an analogy at church. Just go with me, okay? So (laughs) get back in line and wait another 75 minutes. And then you get back to the front of the line. The gate's open. It's your turn again. Okay, here. Let's go back to to the front of the line again. The back of the line again. I mean, it's insane, right? Like, even just kind of gives you like a little bit of like physical pain to think about doing such a thing. But that's what we do when we allow the law to convict us of sin. We walk up to the steps of Jesus in grace. That's okay. I'll, I'll take it from here, God. I'm just going to go back and work my way back to you. Grace is inviting us. Jesus is inviting us. Take a step with me. Place your faith in me. I'm good. 
I'm just going to go back and work the line of legalism and law and moralism. One more roller coaster analogy. This has been a good month for the Doan family. We also went to Legoland this month. Our daughter turned eight years old, so that was her birthday present to go to Legoland. Just two of the four kids win budgets. <laughs> we chose our two favorites. And um, <laughs> so we're in line for a, a roller coaster at Legoland, and it's about an hour. It says, you know, like on the sign, 60 minutes from this point. But our kids wanted to do it, so Marie and I are like, we're in. So we step into the back of the line next to the sign that says 60 minutes, and Monica's here. There's a fifth person in this photo. It's Monica. If you ever go to Legoland, say hi to Monica. Monica's standing there next to the 60-minute sign. And my amazing, beautiful, wonderful wife, Marie, says, Monica, is it really 60 minutes from this spot? She said, it is. She said, but do you want a cut line? And we said, no, we're a pastor and a family. We don't <laughs> want to do this. <laughs> we're like, yes. She's like, I have a job here. My job at Legoland is I'm the surprise person. So I walk around the park and I just gift people with surprises. And so because I was waiting right here, and I told myself the first family that asked me a question, I'm going to take them on the ride. So she took the four of us through the exit. We're waving at everybody like, see ya. <laughs> we go to the front of the line. We get on the roller coaster next, and we ride the ride. It's just amazing, so wonderful. And then we stop, and we get back to the beginning of the ride, and the bars go up, and everyone exits. And they said, do you want to do it again? We're like, yes! <laughs> Every single person in line just throwing darts of hatred at us as we ride this ride. That's grace. Law is having to wait in line and then you're offered grace and you deny it and go back in line. Grace is not even standing in line. <laughs> it's going right to the front because not what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The groom has come. So that's the good news, but let me tell you really sad news from Luke 37, 39, a commentary that Jesus makes here. Jesus says, there's some who've tasted the old wine who will never accept the new wine. There's those that are living so entrenched in the law, so deep in trying to make their own efforts matter and work, that even when the wonderful taste of cutting line happens, they walk away. Jesus is speaking to some of those very people that are accusing him of feasting over fasting. And maybe in 2023, our lives feel so much different than wineskins and sewing garments, feasting and fasting. But are they really? I've played out this scenario in my mind before. <laughs> I won't ever do it, I don't think, but imagine... Uh, going on Tustin Avenue, and you know how they have like DUI checkpoints at different places in every city? And so you pull up, you're been to one, there's a stop sign, and there's big bright lights, and there's some of our finest um, peace officers who have you roll down your window and just kind of assess if you've been drinking tonight. Imagine if we did a gospel checkpoint. <laughs> 
I've thought about this. Like on Tustin, we just kind of put our own stop sign down there and like just kind of like wave cars in, like next, okay, next, next. Roll down your window. If I were to ask you tonight, if you were to die tonight and I were to ask you, why should you be in heaven? What would you say? Person looking up at us. 90% of people here in Orange County would probably say this. Because I've lived a good life. I've done more good than bad. I may not be the best person. I have my mistakes, but I'm not Hitler. And yet, that's living a life of the law. That's living a life of trying to earn your righteousness through your acts, through your works. So this is reality in 2023. We may not have big top hats and and phylacteries, but but we live a pharisaical life that we're trying to allow the law to prove our righteousness to God. Where Jesus is offering us the free gift of grace. It's not cheap grace, it's actually costly grace because it costs him his life, his blood. And yet that offer, that invitation is available to any and all of us. I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. Jerry says it like this. Our worst days are never so bad that we're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Isn't that good? So I want you to examine your life today. Many of you have taken this invitation of grace. You've stepped into grace. You've acknowledged the bridegroom. You've realized that he's offering you this covenant, this covenant not earned by your works, but earned by his blood, and you've stepped into it. Some of us, though, have not made that decision. Some of you may even be here today, and you're like, I've lived a good life. That's enough, right? Why do you eat with such scum? Wait, it's not just about them. That could be said of any of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We're in desperate need of grace. And so, I just invite you right now, if you would just close your eyes, let's just do a little business with God. Examine your heart, your mind, your life. Where do you stand in your relationship to Jesus Christ? Have you stepped into his offer of grace? If you never have, it's simple. You can just say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that trying to do this this life on my own just leads to heartache and disconnection from you, God. I realize, too, that I'm, I'm dead without you. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be the savior, the redeemer, the rescuer of, of my life. God, in this moment, I, by faith, trust in you, Jesus, to wash me clean of sin, not just repair my heart, but give me a new heart. This is my prayer today. If you're doing that today, if this is your prayer, I'm just going to invite you to shoot your hand up right now. Just shoot your hand. If you're like, I, that's my prayer today. That's what, that's what I'm inviting Jesus to do in my life. Just shoot your hand up. That's awesome. 
Wow, how cool, how cool. That's great. There's people today in this room and out in the courtyard and even watching online who literally are stepping from a life of the law today into a life of grace. Amen. Continue to pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you for life point decisions right in this moment. This, this is a sacred holy moment. You're doing good things, God. And God, we just give you all the glory and honor and praise. God, thank you for, for grace, for you, Jesus, who've lived out grace. And so God, may we, who are now fresh in grace, live with this reality. And God, for those of us who have lived in a season of grace for many generations or years, God, may we return to that here today. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, the grace giver. And we said, amen, amen. amen. Wow, very great. I got a message a week and a half ago from Oleg Rutsky in Moldova. He said, Matt, I'm going to be in Orange County for 48 hours. If there's anything you want me to do at Calvary, let me know. I was like, Oleg, come talk to our church. <laughs> and so we have a privilege. We're just going to hear from Oleg for about 10 minutes. But then we have an opportunity at 11 o'clock, if you can just hang around, to hear stories of what God's doing in Ukraine Turkey, Romania, and beyond. So you're just going to get a little taste of it right now from Oleg, and then I'll come up and I'll pray. Uh, and then make a note. Come back at 11. We'd love to hear you. But can we give a warm Calvary welcome? Returning to Calvary, Oleg Ruski. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Thank you. What a message. What a message. What a great honor to be back at Calvary. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here, Pastor. Uh, as you know, last year we've been honored and blessed to be with our family, uh, featured missionaries for the VBS. And it's been an amazing year of service in the country of Moldova, Ukraine, and beyond. And I definitely want to encourage you to consider to come at 11 o'clock to hear of the work that we're doing right now also in Turkey, in the area that is being decimated by the earthquake. As you heard of 100,000 people, almost 100,000 people in three and a half minutes have left this earth and went into eternity. And I'd like to encourage you to come and hear what God is doing through our teams in Turkey. But today, this morning, I'd like to take the time and tell you that God's grace is in abundance. God is changing lives of the people in Moldova and Ukraine. As you know, and you've been praying, and you've been generously giving to the, to the work and the effort of our team, New Hope, to be able to empower local churches of Ukraine and Moldova to serve the refugees. By God's grace, I know, I know it is tragic. It is sad to be able to see, you know, all the, the devastation of the, of the war. And you've been praying for this. I know you've been very generous about this to be able to help, help the suffering mom, the suffering child, in Ukraine and the refugees in Moldova. More than uh, one and a half million people have left Ukraine. And as a family, we've been serving with local churches uh, throughout this season. It's been a difficult season for us, 
very emotionally, you know, literally exhausting for us. But as for me and my home, we're serving the Lord. We continue to be there and be next shoulder to shoulder with local churches and the pastors who chose to stay in Ukraine and the local churches who choose to serve the people that are in desperate situations. As you probably know on the news, every day there are more and more news, probably less and less news in the United States for us, more and more news of what is happening on the battlefield. I can definitely tell you, you know, there is more success, there are more victories, but there is also more victories in the hearts of the people. I think the biggest battle that is happening today is the battle for the hearts of the people, is the invisible battle. Is the battle that the devil is having for the souls of the human beings. We are in this battle. We're called to fight not against the flesh and the blood, but against the authorities and the principalities of the darkness. If you agree with me, say an amen. amen. And we are together with local churches in Ukraine able to touch lives of thousands and thousands of people. More than 1.5 million New Testaments have been put in the hands of the refugees. By God's grace, 1.5 million moms have been touched in a personal way. Their children, one to two children, have been also exposed to the gospel through the local churches and the pastors like this guy who is right behind me. Every single time when I would drive in, I would take a vest by the way, we're in great need of bulletproof vests. Yes, I'm a pastor that goes to preach the gospel in a bulletproof vest. You know, and when I get there, I always unload those supplies to them, and I take my bulletproof vest, and I put it on the pastor. I take the helmet, I put it on him, and I say, you need it more. And they would say, no, pastor, you need it. As you will be driving back to Moldova, you need it. And I say, no, 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 you need it more. But for us to be there shoulder to shoulder with the pastor and tell them and show them in that way we care for them or them for them, the grace of God and the power of the gospel is amazing. God is doing some amazing things through the leaders that I'm proud of. We've been doing leadership trainings. We've been doing, you know, leadership development. And now is the time to show leadership, courageous leadership that is not afraid to be pastor to the pastor, shoulder to shoulder, and be an encouragement to them. They, I've, been, I've been meeting just last week in this area that is being bombed by the Russians. They uh, cracked through the levee, and the water came down the river Dnieper. It flooded the 80 towns. And we've been evacuating last week and this week. We've been evacuating moms and children and the people out of that area. Yes, it's fresh. I'm coming right from there. My team is right now continuing that work. And to be able to see how these men of God are steadfast and fearless and they're committed, I am proud to call them my brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm proud to call them God's leaders in the country of Ukraine. As we, we've been serving and evacuating, you know, we've been thinking about Ways we, you know, that we can not only provide the food and the, and the hygienic supplies and the clothing, but also put the Bible. Because Jesus is the only anchor and the only hope of the people of Ukraine and Moldova. We believe that we need to take the gospel to the nations. And if you believe that, say an amen. amen. 
And by the way, people in Orange County, they need the gospel as well. Amen? Amen. The one thing that we have is a lot of fears and insecurities is how they're going to respond to us. And you know what? This is what we experience as well sometimes. What we did, we said we're going to take the advantage of opportunities where God opens the door, we'll walk through. In less than one and a half hours, just a few weeks ago, we've put more than a thousand New Testaments in the hands of the people. People are fighting to get a Bible. People, women in tears are saying, I've been looking for one. Thank you so much for offering me a New Testament, the gospel. I, am, I need your prayers. Gospel is the anchor of all of these refugees. Gospel is the only hope of all of the people of Ukraine, Moldova, and of Eastern Europe. We need more Bibles. I know maybe you think, what can I do? I need your help, church. We need more Bibles. We need more Bibles to put in the hands of the refugees, of the people that are in such a desperate situation. Talking about the power of the gospel and the power of the Bible. One of the ladies, that she, her husband is in the trenches. He's in the eastern Ukraine. His name is Vasily. Vasily oversees more than a thousand soldiers. Vasily is in charge of an area that right by the river, and the Russian army is less than half a mile. Snipers, drones, missiles. One day, his wife was able to get out of Ukraine and get to Moldova. We welcomed his wife at the borders. As we've been giving away water in the name of Jesus, food in the name of Jesus, clothing, diapers, baby formula, all of that in the name of Jesus, Julia connected to my wife. And Julia, out of thousands and thousands of women that we're serving on a weekly basis, has joined our church. Julia and her two sons was called by her husband one Sunday. It was on Easter of this year, just less than a month ago. For us, Easter was a little later. So he calls through Starlink, Elon Musk's network. He calls on her phone and he says, I want to talk to this crazy pastor. So I know I'm crazy. You've, you already know that. <laughs> I've been there here many years already, so you know how crazy I am. And he says, hey, Pastor Oleg, don't even try to brainwash my wife. I said, I'm not brainwashing your wife. Don't try to brainwash my sons. I said, why do you say that, Mr. Vasily? He says, I'm an atheist. I said, we love atheists. <laughs> yeah, they don't have the masks. They don't have all these layers of religion. I, we love atheists. He's like, come on, get, I'm getting off the phone. So he dropped off the phone. But before he did that, he said, I'll tell you this. It'll take a miracle for me to believe in God. Goodbye. I said, I gave the phone back to Julia and said, Julia, your husband is ready to believe in Jesus. <laughs> and you know, she looked at me with big eyes and she said, what do you mean, pastor? I said, I know your husband is an atheist. He is an influential guy in the battlefield. But he told me that it will take a miracle for him to believe in Jesus. So we need to pray for a miracle. And that is the miracle. One of the soldiers... So he was in a bunker by a trench, and one of the soldiers was a follower of Jesus. Now, 
Vasily and all of his other buddies were making fun of this Christian, saying, look at all these bodies, look at all these soldiers dying back and forth, look at all these snipers taking us down. Now, I learned a, a rule in Ukraine. When you get out of the trench, only 20 seconds. It's a 20-second rule. Have you ever heard of 20-second rule? You get your head out of the trench for 20 seconds, but no more. So this guy just got out of the trench, the Christian guy that loved Jesus, read the Bible on a daily basis, prayed for Vasily and for all of the other guys. He gets shot right in his heart. He gets back in the trench, falls on his back. Vasily runs out of his bum bunker. He grabs this guy. He pulls him through the trench. And he sees this guy is not bleeding. Big smile. He's like, what are you doing to me? He kicks him. And he realized this guy had his Bible underneath his bulletproof vest. And the sniper got him right into his chest. And the bullet got stuck. So what happens? At Easter, second Sunday after Easter, Vasily's son in our church is playing with the bullet in his hands. I said, what is this? He says, it's a gift for my daddy. So how did you get it? He said, he sent it to me in with a little presence, and he said to show it to the pastor Oleg. <laughs> Vasily today, he is reading the word with his wife online. He is praying. <laughs> Hallelujah. The gospel has the power to change lives. Vasily, his wife came and said, you know what? He's watching your messages when he has a, a minute. I'm like, what? He gets online on the Ecclesia Church Facebook, and he is watching you guys. I'm like, praise the Lord. God is doing some amazing things in Ukraine, in Moldova, in the thousands of women this year. We're planning on doing the first camp for widows and the orphans of Ukraine. Ukraine has added 90,000 children to the orphanages in the last three months. These are the kids that have been processed their documents through the last year. I'm sorry to say, but there are more to come. We need your prayers. We need more Bibles. We need more food to the women. We need more hygienic supplies for the children. The country of Moldova and the country of Ukraine have recognized all of the work that you guys have been supporting. And I'd like to show you this. This is a recognition from the president of Moldova and the government of Ukraine saying thank you for the work of the local churches in the country of Moldova and the country of Ukraine. Thank you so much, church, for your prayers, for your generosity. Thank you. Before I get off the stage, I'd like to see you in the lobby. I have some candy from Moldova. By the way, get, grab some. There is a newsletter that you can take. And please make sure you come to hear more about the work we're doing in Turkey at 11 o'clock. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, my brother. Okay. Yeah, so we'll just be in here at 11 if you want to hang out. We'd love to have you. Um, can we stand just even as a way to say that we're in this together? If you're able to stand. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the testimonies that we've just heard. That is just you at work. You are a God of miracle. So God, we praise you that you took 
the son of an atheist, Oleg, and brought him into the kingdom of light through your son, Jesus. And now thank you that you're using Oleg and Marina and their family and, Lord, a team that is now going through borders, through checkpoints, through scary and dangerous areas to proclaim this wonderful news that, Jesus, you are the God of grace. And so, God, we pray for Vesici and others like him, God, that they would come to saving grace in you. And so continue to use our brother and use us as Calvary Church, a church thousands of miles away. God, would you use us to partner in this good work? And we pray for Oleg and we pray for all that will be done. In the name of Christ, we said, amen, amen. 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 Let's worship, let's worship. <laughs>